Good morning. Morning, everybody. Morning. We're right up and close personal today, aren't we? Yeah, some of y'all in the front were like, what happened? I did that. Yep. This is, we'll call this a little experiment. You are in the splash zone. All right. So we'll see how much uh, uh, enunciation and articulation really hit those vowels and consonants today. Uh, welcome, uh, all of you here, all of you online. My name is John. I have the privilege to be one of the pastors here and get to share with you today. Uh, today, uh, I'm excited uh, for multiple reasons. One, uh, because there is hope in a weary world. Amen. Now, the hope that we're going to talk about today is found in Jesus, but there is hope for the Buckeyes. Are, are you following this? It's really weird. There's still hope for the Buckeyes to get into the playoffs. I, I'm, I'm, uh, I have to just put that out there, right? I know at least one other person in the room is excited about that. Two, uh, three. Do I have a three? Do I have a four? Do I have a five? Like, uh, yeah, there's OH. Um, we'll see if we get in. <laughs> Uh, we'll see if there's hope for the Bengals today. Uh, you know, you know. I mean, I got to say it. Uh, if you follow NFL football, it's hard for me this weekend to uh, to point to up north at Cleveland. If, and I won't get into any of that. It's just hard as a Browns fan. Uh, and we can talk afterwards if you don't know what I'm talking about. Uh, so today I'm just going to pull my attention to uh, who day and uh, let's beat the Chiefs. How about that? All right. We'll just, we'll just go there. Uh, up north, I gotta, I gotta figure some things out. Um, but uh, I'm gonna put sports aside and, and just because sports are fun, right? We love sports. Uh, I'm sad about uh, the U.S. being knocked out of the World Cup. That was disappointing. Uh, but man, I, I, I don't know about you, uh, but the rise and fall of my favorite sports team is not gonna get me through the dark night of the soul. You know what I mean? Like, and I don't know if you've ever gone through a dark night of the soul. I won't ask you to raise your hand. But if you haven't, you're probably about to. And if you're in it, you're going to get out of it, I promise. But we all go through those seasons of storms. And the only thing that gets us through that season is a hope that can only be found in Jesus. Amen? He's the only one, friends. And I say that as someone who tried to find hope in every other thing in this world. And I couldn't find it in anything other than Jesus Christ. He's the only one. How you doing? <laughs> I told you it's the great experiment. If you move them closer, you've got to be willing to engage. You're not late. No, you were serving. I know. Oh, his heart's like, no, I'm not late, John. Yeah, he said, no, you got to stay. He, he's so good. He was like, I stay at my post until 10 after, and then I go down. Thank you for serving. Can we give a round of applause for all of our volunteers? Man, thank you. A couple weeks ago, I made a plea for more volunteers in our kids' ministry and friends. Thank you. Uh, almost 20 new volunteers stepped up to serve our kids. Like, amen. Like, that's so awesome. Thank you. So, uh, friends, today is really exciting. Um, like, th there's real struggles going on in our world, right? Aside from the sports stuff, there's real struggles in your home and in, 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 in marriages and relationships and finances. Uh, you know, the great resignation, people just resigning from engaging into the world, let alone the labor shortage and inflation and interest rates. Like, add to the list an opioid epidemic sweeping through this area. Like, it's like, oh man, there's, there's some weariness. Can we have a little hope? Can we get a little hope? Can, uh, as David would say, right, like King David, he would say, restore the sparkle to my eyes, right? 
I could use a little more sparkle to my eyes. How about you? A little more sparkle to my eyes. In it. But until then, Jesus, I'm going to praise you because you are good. Do you believe that he is good even when maybe the world is not? Today's a, a really special day for me personally. Uh, and, and second service is always better than first service. It just really is, okay? So you guys come to the right service, right? Uh, because we worked out all the kinks between our run-through. This is the third time we've done this today, actually. So if you really want the, the raw one, come at 7.15 in the morning when we run through the whole thing once. Then we have 9. Then we have 11. Uh, so we're, we're ready by this time. Today's special. Um, I'm going to get off the mic as fast as I can because my friend is going to be sharing today uh, and sharing God's word. His name's Greg. Uh, I met Greg um, back in 2006. Um, I alluded to I, I once was trying to find hope and lots of other things. In 2006, um, I walked into a building very much like this in Northeast Ohio. And I say that it was a building. It wasn't a church because I'd never been to church. And so I walked into this building and they were playing music and it was, wasn't like hymns on an organ. It was like, like, it felt like there's rock music. I'm like, what is this thing? And I sat like right over right where you guys are sitting. And so maybe your life will change today. I don't know. Because it did for me. There's something powerful about that section. And I walked in and, and this guy gets up wearing jeans and a button down. And I'm like, what is, I thought, I thought priests were supposed to wear like gowns and stuff. Like what, what, is, what is that? And robes and a big hat or something, right? And I, and I was like, well, that doesn't look like a priest. This is weird. And he got up there, and, and I sat there listening as a, as a guy who was broke. I had less than $5 to my name. I had lost my career. I lost everything. I, I, that's the life I was living. I had nothing and nobody. <laughs> I had a handful of people that were still trying to, like, not to give up on me. And the last-ditch effort was get them to church. Maybe if we can get them to church, Right? So I walked in and I sat down and some guy got up and, and he shared this story from the Bible in Luke 15 about a lost son coming home. And he shared this story about a father who would, who would open his arms up wide to wrap a lost son, regardless of what the son had done, he would wrap his arms in love and acceptance and restore him, right? He would restore the son. And I heard that story for the first time, and I just wept, and I broke down, and I, I, I mean, I gave my life to Christ, and, like, the story just, like, took off, you know, with Jesus then for me. But after that service, I don't really even remember what I said, but I know I came up to the front, and I went up to this guy uh, who was leading the church much like this, you know, and, and I was like, hi, you don't know me. Uh, my name's John, and, and uh, I used to do these things on Broadway, and, but now I've lost everything, and I feel like, I, like I'm just supposed to talk to you and, and say thank you because I think God just used you to change my life. You know? <laughs> and he's looking at me like we're just uh, like, oh, okay, who's this crazy guy, and can we get security? Like, I don't know what you were thinking, but like, I don't know. But in his kindness and grace and God working through him, uh, my friend Greg, who at the time was the senior pastor of that church, he took me under his wing and began to mentor me. And then his wife, Julie, came alongside me and my wife and our family, and they just were pouring into us and sharpening us and shaping us. And God used them to restore us and shape us into the men and women that we are today. 
today, um, I have the privilege to take my hat off and just sit and soak and learn um, from my friend Greg, who now is the president of Stadia, a global church planning organization that has been starting new churches all throughout the world, bringing hope to children and families in need. So this is a really special day for me, and I can't wait. I want to invite you in to meet my friend Greg. Will you give him a warm welcome? <laughs> Love you, man. Love you, too. Uh, I, I, uh, I actually remember John's very first words to me. Just they're crystal clear. Um, he walked up to me after that a very emotional moment of sitting there where you're going to have your life changed, evidently, today. Um, and um, he said, um, are you a Browns fan? No, he didn't. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I mean, wouldn't even surprise you, though, would it? I mean, that's, you know, that's what, oh, man, we're living in such uncertain times right now. I mean, the, the political system, right, the, the whole political climate right now, I think about the next two years, and um, I'm not even looking forward to it uh, just because of the uncertainty and the kind of the nastiness and, and stuff that's going on. We're living in uncertain times because we're in the post-pandemic world. And everybody's still, I, I was reading some data on this recently about the uncertainty of relationships. And should I get back in those relationships I was in pre-pandemic and all kinds of different things going on. The uncertainty economically, certainly, um, you know, I, I get to travel quite a bit for what I do. And I was just sharing with John, it was your gas prices here are just, I live in Cleveland, Ohio, and um, I am a diehard Browns fan, by the way, but I actually like the Bengals because I went to Cincinnati for my undergrad, so I am a Bengals fan as well, so I, it was fun to hear who day. I hadn't heard that in a long time, um, you know, because up there, it's who let the dogs out, and um, <laughs> I'm not sure which is better, but it's... <laughs> Um, but, but anyhow, the price of gas, it, you're about the same here, but I was out in Vegas, uh, actually teaching at a church in Vegas. How cool is that? There is hope. Um, and gas was like over $6 a gallon, right? But the, the point, and then I was in Dallas just a couple days ago and gas was under, under $3 a gallon because that's where all the gas is evidently in oil. And, um, but it's just uncertain, isn't it, economically? Like, what's going on in the, in the future? And, and it's, it's difficult to live in uncertain times. But let me give you something that is for certain, okay? Um, here's, a, here's certainty. It, it won't be the economy that brings hope to the world. It just, it just won't. It, I mean, it won't be big business, as important as business is, that brings hope to the world. As important as the educational system is, uh, for all of children and adults, the education system is not going to be bring hope to the world. And, and we all know it's not the political system that's going to bring hope to the world, is it? No, but I'll tell you one thing for certain. Jesus has lived out through you and I, the local church. He will bring hope to the world. Amen? I mean, that's the way uh, it happens. Now, here's the fascinating thing. Whenever the world is in crisis, when, whenever um, uncertainty is going on in our culture, do you know who suffers the most from that uncertainty from the crisis? Who suffers the most? It's children, exactly. It's children. 
That's true throughout the United States. It's true around the world. Um, when, when you look at all the, the statistics and stuff of what's going on in the Ukraine, what goes on in poverty in Africa, what happens when the United States is going through racial uh, challenges, the people that end up suffering the most are the children, vulnerable children. And here's one more thing that I can tell you with certainty, and that is children matter. Children matter. Children matter to God, and therefore they must, they must matter to us. Your children and my children, your neighbor children, the children that are out in the hallways and in their classes here in this, this campus, the children of Cleves, children of greater Cincinnati, the entire state of the United States, the children of the world, they matter deeply and desperately to God. And therefore, they must matter to us. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 1, there's this incredible story. It says, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus. And Jesus is amazing, isn't he? I mean, you just hear these stories about him and you go, I just want to be around him. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and they asked, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now, that's just a, such a self-serving question. Hey, tell us how to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, Jesus, which is not something you want to ask, you know, the, the humblest guy who ever, you know, walked this planet. And Jesus did something that a, a Jewish man would never do, and especially not a Jewish rabbi, a Jewish teacher. Um, children did not have value in Jesus' day. But it says that Jesus calls a little child to him, and he places the child at the center of the stage. And he says, listen, I tell you, unless all of you change and you become like little children, you'll never even enter the kingdom of heaven, let alone be the greatest. So whoever takes the lowly position that this child has in the world is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And then underline this next part. This is, this is profound. And whoever welcomes a child like this in my name welcomes who? Welcomes me, welcomes Jesus. This is amazing. We can just read this and miss it. Jesus says, listen, if you care for a child, if you're welcoming a child, who are you caring for? That's what Jesus says, you're caring for me. You, you wanna have an encounter with Jesus today? How do you do it? You, you care for a child. You care for a child. And Jesus says, when you do that somehow in the supernatural world, you're actually caring for me. And then Jesus says some of the harshest words in, recorded of his in all of scripture. It makes you wonder if he was a Christian at all. He says, if... That was a joke. <laughs> if anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone, a big rock, hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Beware that you don't look down on any of these little children. For I tell you that in heaven, 
Their angels are always in the presence of my heavenly father. Okay, this is a strange one too. So these little kids that if you care for them, you're actually caring for Jesus. Jesus says, listen, they have these angels and those angels are in heaven in the presence of the father. So every child has like this guardian angel. This is straight out of scripture. In heaven, their angels are always in the presence of my heavenly father. So when we care for a child, we're caring for Jesus somehow. That's how much God cares about these kids. I was traveling and um, I, I was spending the night in a hotel and um, it was 3 a.m. and I, I had my alarm set on my cell phone so it was beside my bed and all of a sudden, do, do you all have Amber Alerts here in the Cincinnati area? Okay, yeah. And so um, all of a sudden my phone started buzzing on the nightstand and so I, I got up and I looked at it and it was an Amber Alert and I was like, oh, it's 3 a.m. And, um, but I thought, well, I should pray for this kid. So, um, cause I'm so godly and, um, <laughs> man, the Amber work wrote me. I should pray for this kid and then I'm going back to sleep. Um, so I did, I actually prayed for this little girl and said, God, please, you would have had the same feeling. Most of you, right? Don't be doing that to me. Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> okay. John, I don't know if I like the interaction here. Um, there's some kind of heckling going on right now. The, uh, um, uh, so, so I look at it, and, and I actually did. I, I prayed for this little girl that God would bring her home safely, um, that they would find her, and that everything would be okay. And then I did. I went, I went right back to sleep. And um, I woke up the next morning early, and I remember before my feet hit the, hit the floor, I remember thinking, oh, man, what if that was my little girl? That's, for whatever reason, that's the prompting God placed in my heart. What, what if that was um, my little girl, Tabitha? Um, and that Amber Alert's going off at 3 a.m. And what if I were down in Cleves, Cleves Ohio? And um, I, I was teaching at Whitewater that weekend. And, um, and, and my girl was taken and she was lost and she was far away from home. You know what I would do? I would, be, I would call my friend John Tisovich and I would say, John, can you mobilize Whitewater Crossing somehow? Can you tell them that my little girl, Tabitha, she's seven years old and she's been taken, she's lost, she's not home. Could you somehow mobilize the church? Will they, would you go out, and, 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 and I'm asking you all, would you go out, would you get out of your beds and would you get in your vehicles and would you drive all around this area, would you... And would you, would some of you gather in prayer and would you like do an all night prayer vigil to make sure my daughter Tabitha who's lost is safe? Would you do that for us? Yes, and I would too. I would too. Because my daughter who I deeply and desperately love, she's my sunshine, she's lost and I need her found. And God just struck me through the heart with that silly Amber Alert at 3 a.m. and said, that's how I care about every child. Every child that that Amber Alert goes off for is one of my children that I deeply and desperately love. But most of them, they, they, there's never an Amber Alert going off. They're just dying around the world without knowing Jesus. But Greg, that's how much I care about every child on this planet. And so I think we have to ask the question, so what do we do? So what do we do? I mean, do we just wake up at 3 a.m. and say a quick prayer and go back to sleep? Well, here's the deal. The single most effective way of reaching those who are far from God, those who are far away from Jesus, those who are far away from home, 
is by starting new churches. And that might not be the answer that you were expecting, but it's the true answer. Starting new churches in the United States and around the world is the single most effective way of reaching people with the good news of Jesus Christ. And so let me just start here and say, Whitewater Crossing, on behalf of thousands of children around the world, on behalf of Stadia and me personally, thank you for partnering with us throughout the years to start new churches that intentionally and strategically care for children. I am grateful. Um, David Vaughn, you guys remember Dave? Um, Dave, Dave and I graduated from Bible college together. So I've known Dave for like forever. And um, though I'm a lot younger than him. And um, <laughs> that's not true. That's not true. I think I'm one year younger. But, um, <laughs> but anyhow, Dave, we used to play football together and stuff over there. Because, yeah. Because um, every Bible college should have a football team. That was like the dumbest idea. In the co- anyhow, <laughs> the only team we could beat was Michigan. But... Um, I, <laughs> Any Michigan fans in the house? No, where? <laughs> oh man, Michigan beat the Browns. Is that what you just said? Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay. Anyhow, I have no idea where I was, but um, Dave Vaughn. Dave Vaughn. I'll never forget the first time Dave went with me to Ecuador to look at starting churches with State, and we just had a great time together. So I just want to say thank you for for your partnership and uh, John and Kelly. Um, we've traveled really around. John and I have traveled around the world together. Um, most recently, we're at Everest Base Camp. Uh, got to climb up to Everest Base Camp together and raise a bunch of money to start new churches, and it was just a delight. Uh, to do that with John. And I mean, God has blessed you with amazing leaders. I, Dave, then John. I'm like. <clears throat> it, it doesn't get any better than that. And so Stadia helps start new churches, thriving, growing, multiplying churches uh, for the next generation. And um, last year, Stadia helped start 456 new churches, um, which is amazing, right? Um, but that only happens because of partners like you. I, I mean that literally. We help you start new churches, and we need to be starting thousands a year, and that's going to happen in the next couple of years. I, because you've got to think about your, 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 your history. I mean, I think back to when I was a child, and I grew up in this really small town called Clinton, Ohio. I mean, it was really small. And, um, but so happened that in the house that I grew up in, right across the street, was this little church. And my whole life, this church never grew to more than 200 people. Most of the time, it was around 100, 150. Um, But it was right across the street. And we would walk across the street in the summer. In the winter in northern Ohio, you want to definitely drive across. And um, But we would go to church together as a family. And I never forget, I was 11 years old. And I was sitting in the pew, you know, because that's what we had back in those days. And um, <laughs> the Pastor Norman, we called him Preacher, Preacher Norman. Um, he was my preacher my whole life growing up there. He was just this faithful servant of God at that small church. And Norman gave the invitation, and the organist started playing Just As I Am. And I remember I was scared to death, but I stepped out into the aisle and walked down what seemed like the eternal walk um, to meet Norman in the front. And Norman took my hand in his, and he said, Greg, do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? And I said, I do. And he said, do you accept Jesus to be your Savior and Lord of your life? And I said, I do. 
And back in those days, right then, we went up. The changing room was behind the choir loft, right, where the baptistry was up there. And so we went up there and put these white robes on. And, and Norman took a little 11-year-old Greg down into the water. And he said, I now bury with you with Jesus in baptism. And I raise you to new life in Christ. And I came up out of the water and I was just bawling. I remember it. It was a long time ago. Um, but I remember it like it was yesterday. It changed my life forever. And I've often thought, where would, where would Greg Nettle be today if someone, a hundred years before I was born, literally, had not started that little church in that little town? Where would I be? A hundred years before I was born, that town was nothing. There was a, an itinerant preacher that would come on horseback and he would preach at several churches every Sunday in the little towns, in the community. But someone sacrificed 100 years before I was born and gave financially and probably built that thing by hand, right? And invested their time so that 100 years later, a little boy named Greg Nettle could walk down his, that aisle and have his life transformed and be given the hope of Jesus. Where would I be? And then so fast forward a number of years and God calls me to be the senior pastor of a church that would become known as River Tree Christian Church up in the Canton, Ohio area. And it was just a tiny little church when I went there. And over the years, God blessed it like he's blessed Whitewater Crossing. Actually, very, very similar church to Whitewater where John Tisovich walked into one Sunday morning. And one weekend in a building very much like this, we had what we called Baptism Weekend. And we set up this big hot tub right here um, and there were stairs going up one side and stairs going down the other. And I stood up on top of the hot tub and I preached and I said, this is what it means to follow Jesus. This is what it means to give your life to Jesus. This is why you're baptized into Jesus. And if you want to come up and be baptized today, I'm going to get in the water right now. And we baptized more than 240 people that weekend. Right? Okay, but, but here's why I'm telling you that story. Of all those people that, that I had the privilege of being part of their baptism that weekend, I don't remember who they were. Just one. I don't remember any of them except one. Because I looked up at one point after my hands were all shrivelly and, you know, and, and I looked up and there was my 11-year-old daughter, Tabitha, standing at the top of the stairs. And we, we have a, a shot of this we're going to show you. This is Tabs when she was 11 coming down into the water. And that's uh, my dad in the red shirt, her grandfather, and then my wife, Julie. Um, but I looked at Tabitha, and I said, Tabitha, do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? And she said, I do, Daddy. And Tabitha, um, do you accept Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of your life? I do, Dad. And I had the privilege of burying Tabitha with Jesus in baptism and then raising her to new life in Christ. And I've often thought, where would Tabitha be, little Tabitha, if someone hadn't started that church all those years before? If someone hadn't sacrificed long before she was born and invested financially and given their time, where would she be? Now, let me tell you just a great story. Tabitha is 24 years old now. And she got married a little over a year ago. Um, this is the fun part for me. She is the worship leader at a Stadia church plant. That's what she does. How cool is that? Right? And so she's the one singing the invitation and giving those words of exhortation now. So to a whole new generation, 
of young people, inviting them to follow Jesus. So here's, here's what I want you to ask yourself. Where would you be if back in 1916, someone had not sacrificed and given financial and invested their time in starting Whitewater Crossing? Where would you be? I mean, I mean, most of those people that helped start Whitewater Crossing, I'm guessing, probably aren't around anymore. Um, they probably have never seen this campus. I mean, there might, I don't know, there might be some, I, but, but here you are. You know, where would you be if someone hadn't started a thriving, growing, multiplying church that intentionally and strategically cared for the next generation? You see, here's the deal, friends. 85% of those who make a decision to follow Jesus do so before the age of 18. That's true in the United States, and that's true around the world. So let me ask you to do this. I want you to raise your hand if you made a decision to follow Jesus at 18 or younger. Raise your hand really high. Keep your hands up. Raise them really high. If you, yeah, look around. This, it's incredible. And so, you know, a lot of people think that, oh, I want to, I want to, I think that I, I would love to sing on the worship team. And the worship team is amazing, right? I mean, it, incredible here, right? Very important ministry. A lot, a lot of people think, you know, well, it'd be really cool to, to you know, be a leader of small groups and things like that. Let me, where's, the, if 85% of those who make a decision to follow Jesus do so before the age of 18, where's the real action happening? Yeah, John, you should never, ever have to ask for volunteers in children's ministry again, ever. Like, there should be a line, Waiting for people to work in children's ministry, right? And teens ministry. Because that's, that's, where, that's where it's happening. Not that this isn't important. It's, it's vital. But I'm just saying, man, what would happen if we intentionally and strategically started new churches that cared for children? And so that's what Stadia does. We help you do that. And our vision is for every child on the planet to have a church. I know that's audacious. But why not? For every child on the planet to have a church like this where they could hear the hope of Jesus. So let me push this further. What if, if we take this idea of caring for children seriously, what if one family or one individual from this church and from every church in the state of Ohio would adopt a child from the foster care system? What, what would happen to the foster care system if just one family or one individual, this is, no, this is an initiative, this is a one child, one church initiative. Just one child is adopted from the foster care system in Ohio, from every church in Ohio. What would happen to the foster care system? It would be empty. It would be empty. Now, I'm going to push this further. Wall Street Journal, two years ago, published an article that said, in our prison system, which our incarceration system in the United States, it's one of our biggest challenges that we're facing. It's one of the largest incarceration systems on the planet. Wall Street Journal publishes an article and says that 80% of the people in our prison system, 80% have spent time in our foster care system. Okay, so think about this. What if one family, quite frankly, what if 200 families in this church adopted children 
from our foster care system. And then every other church did the same. And so the foster care system empties. What happens to our prison population? Oh, you see, friends, it won't be the government, it won't be the prison system, it won't be economics that brings hope to the world. What brings hope to the world, what brings lasting change is Jesus has lived out through you and I, through the local church, amen? That's what brings hope. Because every child is at risk. Every child is at risk. There are dangers and diseases that we're very well aware of that stem from extreme poverty, right? But if you move up the line to enough and you cross over to prosperity, there are dangers and diseases for children that stem from prosperity as well. So let me, let me give you the illustration. We have this little girl named Kizel. She's six years old. She lives in Bolivia. She lives in extreme poverty. She's a real little girl. She goes to bed at night not knowing if she's going to have food to eat the next day. She goes to bed at night worried about the boys across the street physically abusing her. She goes to bed at night. One thing she doesn't have to worry about is what she's going to wear the next day because she only has one outfit to wear. Kizel is at danger spiritually, spiritual, physical risks because of living in extreme poverty. But then we move up here to the enough scale. And let's just keep going with my daughter Tabitha's story. So Tabitha, just simply by being born in the United States, is living in prosperity compared to the rest of the world. And Tabitha goes to bed at night. We'll just call her at 14 years of age now. And she goes to bed at night. And she's worried about the boys because she could get bullied on social media or there could be a predator somehow on the internet. She goes to bed at night and she can't go to sleep because she has a whole closet full of clothes and she can't decide what she's gonna wear tomorrow. She goes to bed at night and, and maybe she's not even thinking about Jesus because she has so much, she doesn't need anything. And she's at danger, spiritual danger from the dangers of prosperity. So how do we determine prosperity? Because most of us don't go, oh yeah, I'm rich. So how do we define that? Well, let's just do a little quiz real quick and we'll, we'll, we'll define this. How many of you uh, slept in a bed last night? Raise your hand, real high, slept in a bed. Okay, uh, hands down. How many of you um, had heat in your house last night? Raise your hand, okay. How many of you have shoes on your feet right now? If you don't, please put them back on. Um, how many of you have running water? Raise your hand. Okay, if you answered yes to those simple four questions, you are living in more prosperity than 80% of the people on this planet. 80%. You're in the upper 20th percentile simply of prosperity by those four questions. Now, let me make you a little more uncomfortable. How many of you have loose change out in your car or SUV that you drove in or a loose change jar or cup that you throw in at home? Raise your hand if you have a loose change, something. Okay, here's a, here's a this is a, just a fascinating thing I discovered as I was traveling. Loose change is not a normative concept. Most of the world doesn't know what loose change means because that loose change is what they're surviving on. That's their income. 
It's not, there is no extra that they're saving in a jar or in their, they don't have a vehicle. So you, you know what I'm saying? Okay, how many of you have um, some money on you right now or a cash card that you could get money um, in your purse, in your pocket right now? Good. John, we are going to take an offering in just a few minutes. So they're, they're like loaded, I can tell. Um, yeah. And, okay, no, in all seriousness, if you raise your hand today, so if you raise your hand to those two questions, that moves you up to you are now more prosperous than 90% of the people on the planet. Now, we don't think of ourselves as rich necessarily. What I'm saying is simply by virtue of being in the United States of America, the vast majority of us are already in the upper 10 percentile of prosperity. And that actually puts us at spiritual risk. Because here's, here's the, the, the equation. The further into extreme poverty you go, the further you are from enough, the more spiritual at risk you are. You can't even think about Jesus because you're just worried about surviving. The further you move into prosperity from enough, the more spiritually at risk you are because you can actually just forget about God. Start being self-reliant. The Bible says it this way. This is incredible that this is in the Bible. Imagine this. Proverbs chapter 30. Oh God, I beg two favors from you. Let me have them before I die. First, help me never to tell a lie. That's a good thing. But second, give me neither poverty nor riches. Give me just enough to satisfy my needs. For if I grow rich, I may deny you. I may forget you and say, who is the Lord? And if I am too poor, I may steal and thus insult your God's holy name. Can you believe that's in the Bible? That kind of economic principle is actually there. Give me just enough. So again, what do we actually do? How do we combat? How do we heal this problem, this challenge of too little, too much, enough? Well, you all are going to have the opportunity to make an incredible difference with this, with your hope initiative. But let me come back to our story. So Tabitha, 14 years old, finds out a little gazelle through a sponsor, child, global child sponsorship partner of Stadius. And Tabitha comes home to me after church and she says, she brings this packet and she says, Daddy, I want to sponsor this little girl. Her name's Gazelle. She's six years old in Bolivia. And I say, well, Tabs, that's going to be $38 a month, and you have to pay it. And she says, well, I'll, I'll do that with my allowance and, you know, Christmas money and stuff like that. And, she's, and I said, well, and you have to write her letters. Okay, I'll do that. So Tabitha sponsors little Gazelle, who's six years old. And now Gazelle's getting these letters from a 14-year-old girl in Ohio. This is the crazy part. Gazelle becomes part of a new church startup through Stadia, like that you all helped start, right? And Gazelle has medical care now. She gets a hot meal every day. She's part of a school. She's learning about the hope of Jesus. Little Tabitha is writing her letters and hearing, and Gazelle's writing letters back to her. Now, I have the opportunity as president of Stadia to travel to Bolivia, and it so happens that I end up in this little village in the mountains where Cazelle's church is. 
And so I go with this group of pastors. We're going up the, the hill, and it's dusty and hot. And we get up. We're about, you know, almost to the top of this mountain. And there's this church building up there. It's a cement-blocked building. And it's, you know, it's, it's nice for that community, but it's, it's culturally appropriate. It's just cement blocks. And, and, and as we get up there, there are literally hundreds of children lining this dirt road. And they're cheering for us as we walk up through there. And it's the kids that are part of this church. And I look up, and there's this little girl who comes running down the street in this little purple outfit, I think. And, and she runs down, and she just grabs me by the leg, and she won't let go. And it's Kazelle. Um, my daughter had been sending pictures of our family, right? And so she knew, knew how. I think we have an image of this that we're going to put up there right now of when I first got to meet Kazelle. And Kazelle comes down, and she just grabs hold of my leg. Do we have that image that we can throw up? Um, Anyhow, we'll get it up there. And Kazelle grabs my leg, and then she starts walking me up the dirt road towards the church building. And we get up there to the church building. And the fascinating thing is when you go into third world poverty, there's no like HIPAA laws or, um, you know, any privacy stuff. And so they're opening Kazelle's records for this little girl. And they're showing me that she's really smart in school and that she's been getting these medical checkups and all these different things going on. And, but on June 6th, there's a heart, a red heart next to Kazelle's name. And so I said, um, hey, what's that, what's that red heart there mean? And they said, oh, that's the day that Kizel gave her life to Jesus. Yeah. So little Kizel gets um, sponsored, right, by a 14-year-old girl. And now she's got medical care. She's getting a hot meal every day. She's part of a local church. She gives her life to Jesus. Which way does she move on the continuum? She moves towards enough. And she becomes less spiritually at risk. Okay, Tabitha, who's living in prosperity, um, and the crazy thing is, a 14-year-old could afford $38 a month, right? That's, that's just our daughter. Um, which way did she move on the risk factor when she sponsored Gazelle? She moved towards enough, so she became less spiritually at risk. Now, here, here's the amazing part of this story. You can't make this stuff, stuff, stuff up. So a couple of years later, um, we, my wife and I decided to lead a trip to Ecuador um, to visit some new church startups and visit some children we were sponsoring. And so it's, it's crazy. You wouldn't think this at Thanksgiving, that people would want to go on a missions trip over Thanksgiving. But like most people really don't want to be with their family. And they were like, yeah, let's go. And, um, I, I, and, uh, and so we took, these, we took five families with us. Um, and in those five families, um, eight people, eight, eight, if you just had a bad Thanksgiving, right, and you're having problems, I apologize. I did not mean it that way, okay? Um, and anyhow, so there were eight children on this trip with five families, five couples. And we go to Ecuador. And on Thanksgiving Day, we, we, you know, they don't celebrate Thanksgiving in South America. So we're there at the, at the new church building and the church, and there's all these kids. And so our kids are playing with these kids in the dirt. And we took, you know, little t- t- soccer balls down for them. So they're playing, um, you know, European football with them 
all, all day. And, and then at lunchtime, we get to serve them their Thanksgiving meal. Um, but they didn't know it was Thanksgiving, but it was rice and little bits of chicken throughout and stuff. And it was just great. And then finally, we go back to our hotel, and we're all sweaty, and, and, and we get cleaned up, and we're sitting around the pool that night. And, and everybody, the kids, the parents, they're all saying, that was our best Thanksgiving ever. It's our best Thanksgiving ever. So the next night, we're flying home. And when you fly out of Quito, Ecuador, the flights are always very late at night, midnight, 1 a.m. And so we go out to this local Ecuadorian restaurant, just killing time, really, before we have to go to the airport. And we all finish our dinner, and the adults are all sitting around the table. And these eight children are over here in the corner. We can just tell they're scheming, okay? They're just scheming. And so pretty soon, the, the group comes over, led by my daughter, Tabitha. And uh, they're all under 18 years of age. like They're like 9 to, to 17, something like that. And, and they all come over here to me. And Tabitha is the spokesperson. She says, Dad, we want to start a church. And I said, okay. I said, where? And she said, no, we want to, we want to pay to start a church here in Ecuador. I said, that's awesome. Like who? Oh, the eight of us, Dad. Okay, well, that'll be $87,000. And, um, and, and she said, I know how much it is. I'm the president's daughter. And I'm like, you are so at risk. Um, and, and I said, well, here's the deal, Tabitha. I said, Man, that is a lot of money. And to start a church here next year, um, we have to have the money in by the end of this year. And it's already Thanksgiving, right? So there's a very limited amount of time to raise $87,000. So, and she said, yeah, but we want to try, Dad. And I said, well, okay. I said, then I talked to the parents. I said, okay, here's the idea. If you children raise half of it, we as parents will match the other half. We're going to help you get there. And they're like ticked. They're like, no, we're going to pay for this church. This is going to be by kids, for kids. This is going to be this new church in Ecuador. And, I, and then I have to say, look, the church we're part of, River Tree, they're already planting a church down here. And so you're not going to be able to stand in front of the church and ask the church. Well, you know, you can't stand in front of Whitewater Crossing and ask Whitewater Crossing to pay for this church. You can't do it. You have to. And, and they're like, we're going to raise the money. And I'm like, okay, give it a shot. So they come home and they start doing all kinds of crazy stuff. They got permission in their public schools to go in, put up flyers, tell everybody this is five kids, four kids. We're starting this school with the church and all this stuff that's going on. And they started raising money there. They got social media campaigns going on. They had T-shirts printed, by kids, four kids. And they sold those online and in the schools. They, they would sing, it was Christmas. So they would sing Christmas carols in people's yards and people would give them money just to get rid of them. <laughs> now imagine this, imagine this. Your 16-year-old, your 11-year-old, your 17-year-old come to you. And they say, Dad, Mom, Grandma, Grandpa, Aunts, Uncles, um, whatever you were going to give, we don't, we don't need anything for Christmas this year. So whatever you were going to spend on us for Christmas, would you just give the money to our church plant? Can you imagine your grandkids or kids? What would you do? You give like triple the amount. You give whatever you can just to reinforce that positive idea. And on December 27th, those kids presented a check to Stadia for $87,000 to start a new church in Ecuador. Eight children. Now, what happened to those eight children when they raised that money and were generous themselves and gave sacrificially to start that new church? Which way did they move on the risk spectrum? They moved towards enough. They became less spiritual at risk. Now, here's the beautiful part. 200 children were sponsored in that church then. 
200 children. Which way did they move on the spectrum of risk? They become less at risk. Because of eight children in Ohio cared enough to say we have more than we need. And we're gonna reach down and give you a hand and pull you up. And at the same time, they were pulled towards enough as well. So this Christmas, with the Hope Initiative, you're gonna have the exact same opportunity. Now some of you might be wondering what this is up here, this whole time. Um, there are 18,000 BBs precisely in this little jug. 18,000, and I know because I asked John, being my apprentice, to count them. <clears throat> what I forgot was that once he hit 100, he couldn't count any higher. Um, it's not true. It's not true. Um, that there are 18,000 BBs. And every one of these BBs has a name. And they represent a child under the age of 18. And every 24 hours somewhere in the world, in the United States and around the world, every 24 hours, 18,000 children under the age of 18 today die of poverty or poverty-related preventable diseases. And that's hard for us to get our heads around that every 24 hours, And this one's Lisa, and God knows her by name, and she's going to die today. And this one's Jacob, and God knows his name. He's going to die today. And I'm not trying to just jerk at your heartstrings, though I am a little bit. And I was thinking about this because I love college football, so I, I was watching um, the team that must not be named last night. And um, their stadium, you know, these stadiums hold about 100,000 people. And if you think about it, you know, whether you're watching a World Cup match or what professional football, though they're not usually that large, but college football, typically they hold 100,000 people-ish. And if you fill that stadium, if every week you march in 100,000 children under the age of 18, every week, and at the end of the week, all of those kids die. And then next week, you march in another 100,000. And at the end of the week, they all die. Now, I'm not making that up. That's true data from the United States and around the world. And they're all children in whose lives we can make a difference. That we can bring hope because it's not the government's 
I don't believe it is. Education's not going to do it. We just know it's broken. It's Jesus lived out through you and I, through eight kids under the age of 18, through an elderly couple, through each of you. It's through the local church that bring these kids home safely. Now, let me just wrap up with something really hopeful to tell you. I started doing this BB illustration 15 years ago. And um, I had to have two pictures because 15 years ago, every 24 hours, 40,000 children under the age of 18 died of poverty or poverty-related preventable diseases. And so today, I'm telling you, that number's been reduced by 22,000 children in just 15 years. And there is no reason, my friends, why we can just reduce that down to near zero in our lifetime. Amen? That's what the Hope Initiative's about. Let's pray. God, I'm grateful for every person here, for all these children that you love, and I know that we all love too, that we care about. So help us to, you know, make a difference. We're just asking that. We commit to that today, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. I remember uh, when Greg, when you did that illustration 15 years ago, I was there and it leveled me and it still levels me. Um, but I'm pulling out two. Um, I have two friends uh, that live next door and uh, their names are Caitlin and Amber. And unfortunately... Uh, they're at risk. Um, and Caitlin and Amber, uh, they know me as the pastor who walks around the neighborhood. Um, I've been known for worse. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and so I'll go next door uh, through our neighborhood here and, uh, and just walk around and just pray and talk to the kids. And, and it's just I've made it something that I do. It's part of my normal routine. And uh, I remember they stopped me for the first time. They're like, hey, uh, you're that you're that pastor who who walks around the neighborhood. I'm like, I am. I am actually. Uh, what's your name? <laughs> so my name's John. Uh, not the pastor who walks around the neighborhood. What's your name? Caitlin and Amber. So I've gotten to know Caitlin and Amber, and uh, and every once in a while, you know, take them to the gas station and get them some food, and, and just building this relationship to let them know that they matter and they are loved, that they're made in God's image that they have hope. Friends, the Hope Initiative is for us to step into the reality and say, uh, this is not okay. This. In our backyards and around the world, whether that's our neighbor literally next door or your neighbor literally next door or your neighbor that is around the world, when it comes to kids dying every single day, that's not okay. That's not okay. That should break our hearts because it breaks Jesus' heart, period. And so uh, this hope initiative that we've been talking about the last few months or last few weeks, uh, like even though we're in the midst of financial uncertainty, like a lot of people right now, we're not going to stop caring for kids that are at risk. We're not going to stop. 
And so we're going to start some new initiatives with uh, local school districts, and I'm excited to share that at Christmas Eve, what that's going to look like. We're going to start uh, like new churches through Stadia and our partnership with them to care for kids around the world. We're going to eliminate this. I'm saying it in my lifetime. I want this to be down. Like I know sometimes kids just die, so that's why you can't get it to actual zero. But like I want this down under 100, right? Like we can do something about this in our backyard and around the world. And so I invite you to give. I, I Like unabashedly, I invite you to give. I was talking to a friend after first service, and I was just saying what's really beautiful um, is that everybody, everybody, everybody can give something. I love that you give of your time. I love that you give of your talents. But everybody can give something financially, no matter what the amount is. Some of you are able to give much, and some of you are able to give uh, not as much. But what's interesting in God's economy is that it doesn't matter the amount. He sees the heart and goes, I see you. And little in his hands is much, no matter what it is you're bringing to him. God invites us to maybe take a, a look at how we live and says, hey, will you, will you live on... Um, Will you adjust just a little bit, just enough, so that others can have enough? Will you be a part of this HOPE initiative? So real candidly, uh, today, I invite you to give. Tomorrow, I invite you to give. Next week, I'm going to invite you to give. Christmas Eve, I'm going to invite you to give. Year-end giving, I'm inviting you into this HOPE initiative so that we can start new churches around the world so we can start new initiatives in this region through our local school districts to care for our kids because it's not okay that over 70,000 kids right here in greater Cincinnati area are under the poverty line. That's not okay. They're at risk. We need to do something about it. We want to care for what's going on here on this campus so we can aim this entire campus and its resources outward to bring hope to our region. And I invite you to be a part of it. Kelly and I are having the same conversations that I'm inviting you to have. We did not plan on this. We did not plan on this HOPE initiative when we started this year. We did not plan to give sacrificially. And so we're sitting at the table having some very candid conversations of what, all right, for us to actually give above and beyond our regular giving, uh, we're going to have to cut some things in our budget. And friends, that's hard. I don't know if you've had those type of conversations. That's hard when you're like, yeah, we weren't planning on this. Yeah, but we're supposed to lead. So let's lead. And there's tears on my end. There's, <laughs> so I like my Starbucks. I like my fast food. That starts to add up, and I realize, like, oh, man, what if I just, you know, cut back so that others could have enough? I invite you into this. Um, so uh, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing one more song. Um, I invite you just into this conversation. I thank you for so many of you, how you lead in this way. Thank you for how you are leading in this way. Thank you for how you're helping others and just modeling this behavior of, hey, I invest into the local church. Thank you. Continue leading 
You're helping me grow. You're helping so many people grow. Thank you for that. So, Father, um, we come before you right now as your church. Uh, We are desperate to be known as your church that cares for the least of these, that cares for the orphan and the widow, that says, not on my watch. We will unabashedly go after caring for kids that are on the margins. Father, I thank you um, for the great entrustment of much. Help us to use all that we have to bring hope to children next door and around the world. Father, we love you, and it's in your name that we pray. Amen. I invite you to stand.